This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. In 1964, William Branham started preaching sermons with self-promotion titles like The Unveiling of God and The Mighty God Unveiled Before Us. To the cult programmer, these sermons are significant to their belief in the cult of William Branham because these sermons signify the presence of Jesus Christ at work in William Branham's ministry. The premise of the sermon, The Unveiling of God, is this. According to Branham, God hid or God veiled himself from the people in the Old Testament. On the surface, that sermon may sound scriptural, and Branham uses examples that are in the Bible to support each topic as he traverses through time from the days of Moses to the days of Jesus Christ to the days of Branham, the new veil of God. To make this point, he tries to shove down their throats. He must first twist each story in the Bible to fit his agenda. And the largest twisting of Scripture itself is really the idea of God being veiled to hide himself. God being veiled to hide himself from the people. This teaching, though very wrong, is the teaching that allowed William Branham to get away with pausing the recording in his sermons and for allowing the homosexual Gene and Leo to edit out large portions of the recorded message. Typical cult theology is this. Don't let those other Christians know about this. It was not for them. Cast not your pearls before swine, they'll tell you. But Paul actually denounced this cult mentality in 2 Corinthians 4. We are to be lights of the gospel to all the world, shining through the darkness, bringing every soul that has a willing heart to be saved. And they will only refuse it if they have not been called to Christ. Paul did not have to hide it because he wanted to keep the gospel a secret. Paul tried to broadcast it to the nations. 
2 Corinthians 4, Paul writes this, But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. Think of what he just said there. We've renounced these men who do this. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of truth, not by the hidden mystery. The open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. He says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Paul says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves. That is the difference. What we proclaim is not ourselves, not Paul, but Jesus Christ. And we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord, he says, with ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul pointed to Christ. He said that he did not proclaim himself, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Paul was just a servant. But Branham's sermon, it is exactly the opposite. The messenger, or the prophet, was promoted, not Christ. The veil was the prophet, and if you peeked behind that veil, you would see God, according to William Branham's theology. He says this in the sermon, So it was God formed in a man called a prophet. See? Let me reread that. It was God formed in a man called a prophet. And then just to make sure that everybody, everybody got it, he says, see? He says, and the word of the Lord came to this man, so it wasn't the prophet. The prophet was the veil, but the word was God. The man's mind won't act like that. See what I mean? It cannot act in this manner, but potentially it was God. He was the word of God. Listen to this. Branham says he was the word of God in the form of a man called a man. Now to the cult follower who's been programmed, this statement may not start sounding warning bells. And the twisted scriptures can support the promoting worship of a man. But if you combine this with the whole rest of the sermon, even cult followers should start hearing God ringing a huge gong of warning. Through example, Branham promoted himself continually as God. Each example he gives, from Moses all the way to Christ, it was spoken in such a way that you could easily replace William Branham in each example. Why? Because he had somehow managed to convince his followers that he indeed had prophecy. And because of that, he was the great and the mighty prophet. In fact, he promoted himself as God. He claimed, by example, that God changed his form into the form of William Branham so that people could see God. In the sermon, he says this, Notice, 
He never changed his nature, only his form. Hebrews 13.8, William Branham says this, Hebrews 13.8 said, He's the same yesterday and today, today and forever. So he did not change his nature when he come. He is always that prophet. Now he's speaking of Jesus Christ here. He's always that prophet down through the age. Same thing, the word, the word, the word, see. He says he cannot change his nature, but he changed his form. And then he repeats the verse. Hebrews 13, 8 said he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Branham says he just changed his mask. So ask yourselves, who did he change this mask to? And Branham knew that there would be others in Christian churches with the gift of prophecy. The spiritual gifts, according to Paul, are for anyone to receive. All they need to do is accept Jesus Christ by grace through faith. But he could not let others steal his glory. If God were speaking to others, then God would have the glory. William Branham cannot allow this. But if God were shape-shifting into the form of William Branham, then Branham himself became the Almighty. That is the very reason that anyone today with the gift of prophecy in the Branham cult churches will be suppressed. Those of you who have the gift, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Branham continues, he says his word is revealed to one. So he puts a stop to it right there. No more prophets, just me. He says, it's always been a prophet came with the word of the Lord each age, every time, down through the scripture. The word comes to one. He says, in every age, even this church ages, from the first to the last, others have their place. That's right, but stay with that pillar of fire. He says, what a lesson we have to learn here. See, everybody wanting to be a Moses, and everybody. Branham could not allow it. He had to be the great and mighty conqueror. Branham got a whole lot of mileage out of the picture of the fluorescent light bulb in the Houston Coliseum, the one that he paid George Lacey, who was not an FBI agent, to authenticate so that he could have it copyrighted for profit. P-R-O-F-I-T, not P-R-O-P-H-E-T. He calls the fluorescent light bulb the pillar of fire which is to set him above the rest. He is the ultimate prophet. He's the prophet of God, the one that was not a man, but God shapeshifting into the form of a man. Religious cults whose founder claimed prophecy do not regard prophets in the Bible or in real life, in today's life, they do not regard prophets as the same as other human beings though the Bible clearly teaches otherwise. They are human beings, nothing more, but God chose to speak to them. And God can choose whoever he wants, even a donkey. Their only argument is that God did come down in the form of a man, the man Jesus Christ. But that is not the same. Christ was the Son of God. Branham was not the Son of God. And these prophets 
they are not omnipresent. They can only be in one city at one time. In the days of the Old Testament prophets, God did not forfeit one city of his children so that he could shapeshift into the form of a prophet. There were definitely prophets in multiple cities recorded in the Bible to have prophesied at the same time during the same age. Read your Old Testament. You'll find them. They're there. Branham threw a few rabbit holes in the way of the ones that he wanted to search the scriptures and point to himself by saying there was only one major prophet on the scene at one time. But think about that one single word. Think about what major implies. If you want to call a prophet a major prophet, you must first elevate the man instead of the God who spoke through him or to him. To call a prophet major, you must first lift up the man, but you must also lessen God. Without false teaching, Branham could have never pulled off the sermon in front of a group of Christians, especially Christians who have Bibles. Most Christians, if you told them that God had shapeshifted into the form of William Branham, they would have laughed at you and thought, surely you must be joking. Sadly, slaves in bondage to the message of William Branham are not joking. And they sincerely believe that this man was God in the form of a man. In fact, Fred Sothman, one of William Branham's henchmen, is quoted saying that William Branham was greater than Jesus Christ. And it's in a video that's made its way all through the world via YouTube. Towards the end of this sermon, William Branham wanted to make sure that the people were picking up what he was laying down. If there is any question as to whether or not God had veiled himself in William Branham, he wanted them to answer it for themselves, obviously with the help of his guidance. He says, oh, brother, sister, are you catching it? And the whole congregation says, amen, brother. He says, look, don't you see, it's been veiled through all these ages according to what God had said. And it will be opened in those last days. Those seven seals would be broke. I did that, he says. And he says, the full thing would, be, would come into the view of the people. He says, look what's taken place all along. The hour of the seventh angel's message. And all the mystery of God should be made known in that Elijah. In that last hour, how Christ is put out of his church the Son of God, how he is revealed as the Son of Man again. So like Branham, I'm going to say, oh, brother, sister, are you catching it? Are you catching what he's doing here? He's calling himself God. He says, I'll take one, leave one, and I'll take that one and leave that one. He says, see, there's just, that's that cult mentality. He says, there's no strings, no denominations, no bindings or nothing. It's in the heart of God and him alone. So, in essence, God has shapeshifted into the form of William Branham, and he can decide which denomination goes, which one is out. By saying they're all out, of course. If you study the scriptures, you will find that this entire sermon, start to finish, is nothing more than twisted cult theology. And it matches the same theology as other religious cults that proclaim to be Christian. The reason other Christians don't see that their leader is the Almighty, 
because God has hidden or veiled himself to them. And the mighty Oz is behind the curtain. And you can't remove his curtain. There were veils, both physical and spiritual, described in the Bible. But they were not to hide the glowing candles of the little chosen ones from the other people of the world. It's not right. Quite the opposite. God was very open with spreading both the power of Yahweh and of Jesus Christ. Yahweh in the Old Testament, Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Moses was behind a veil, but it was so the people would not worship him. His body was also glowing, and his body had to be hidden from the people so that they did not make it into an idol. The temple, it did have a veil to keep the Ark of the Covenant sacred and beyond the view of the temple worship. God did not want the people to worship the Ark. He wanted the worship. He wanted the honor and the glory. A veil was placed over the eyes of the children of Israel so that they would not recognize the Christ child. And that is exactly what the prophets of the Old Testament described in their visions. But when Jesus Christ came, he did not call this little group of chosen ones from a corner who lived the spiritual pious life. He called the sinners and the prostitutes and the tax collectors who everybody hated. Not just this little group in the corner. He didn't say, it isn't for them. I've hidden myself from them in a veil. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach to all the nations. Leave no stone unturned. And at the time during Jesus', Jesus day, Baal worship was predominant in the other countries and they were sacrificing human beings. Yet those are the chosen ones of God. The biggest problem at all, of all with this entire sermon, quite frankly, is that it is in direct conflict with 2 Corinthians 3. We are not to be led astray or even led by some guy who claims that he is God who has shapeshifted. We are all to be ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ and not one, many. It's very ironic because Paul starts this chapter off by condemning William Branham and those like him. Paul writes, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Now pause for a moment. Think of what Paul just said and apply it to this entire sermon. I can hear it now. I can hear Paul listening to the words of William Branham, sitting back in the back of the congregation and he stands up and the crowd looks at him and he says what are you doing are you beginning to commend yourselves again he says or do we need as some do letters of recommendation from you or you this is Paul speaking he's asking do you have to have somebody who you claim is an FBI agent to write down that yes that was the pillar of fire no, that's not what Paul says. Paul did not commend himself like William Branham did. Paul did not try to trick the people into thinking that God had shapeshifted into his form, the body of Paul. He did not try to trick the people into thinking that he was God before him or his message was. 
Paul preached against it because that was what the sorcerers did. The sorcerers were associated with the worship of Baal. Also, Paul did not lift up any single man or woman. In Paul's eyes, all were to be servants of Christ, all delivering the same gospel. Paul says, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And he says, and you show that you are a letter of Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, on tablets that are not of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Human hearts, it's an inside thing. It's not the makeup, it's not the clothes, it's not the shorts, it's not long dresses. Human hearts. Paul says, such confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Also, listen to Paul's type of message. Paul says this, Now we are sufficient in ourselves to claim as anything coming from us. He's speaking to those who just started proclaiming themselves and uplifting themselves. And Paul says, look, I'm, I can do it. I've got all this. Paul says, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but by the Spirit. Paul never went around saying, see, I had the experience. I saw the light in the wilderness. I copyrighted the photos of that light so I could bring a big following to me. I said those men worked for the Federal Bureau of Caesar's investigation when they were just simple farmers and fishermen. Paul didn't do this. Paul was very implicit in his ministry. Not a single thing has to do with this life. Not of the flesh, not of the experience, not of any single thing that this earth can provide or has provided of value. There's no need to boast of these spiritual experiences like Buddha and Gandhi do. No lights and blasts and angels and more. We should instead boast that God has sent His Son and His Son asked the Father to send the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Paul says this, For the letter kills but the Spirit gives life. Also most important is Paul's message. In fact, Paul would very likely become angry against the men who called it Paul's message because he had nothing to do with it. It had nothing to do with Paul. Paul was not a messenger for an age. Paul was a prisoner for Christ and he calls himself a servant. He calls himself the least among them, not great. Paul's message was that the old covenant was a covenant of death, and it, became, it came as a glory from God, but it brought death and condemnation. Yet the old covenant was glorified. It was uplifted. He also calls that ministry that the priest gave, the ministry of the old covenant, he calls it the ministry of condemnation. And Branham claimed that he preached the same message that Paul preached, and he claimed to have had some spiritual vision describing many souls who, we're resting on that. 
But Branham brought a different message. He brought a message that each covenant became greater and greater and greater with power as the new covenant was added. He says the old ones aren't left away, they grow stronger. And he skipped the part where Jesus fulfilled the old covenant, completing our part of the contract or our part of the bargain. Paul's message was greater than Branham's, greater than the ministry of death. Paul's message was proclaiming the gospel. Paul says, now if the ministry of death, carved in letters of stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not even gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the mystery of the spirit of righteousness far exceed in glory? He says, indeed, in this case, what once had the glory has came to no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. And to those who have been falsely taught with the, script, the twisted scriptures of William Branham and who have been programmed to believe a different Jesus, listen to what comes next. If you think that William Branham was correct and that the old covenant is still in effect, if you think that William Branham's message was the same one that Paul taught and that he wasn't lying about the vision that he claimed to have had with souls on the other side, Compare Branham's message with what Paul says next about preaching the gospel. Paul says, for what was being brought to an end. Not that it became a greater covenant, not that it had more power. The old covenant was being brought to an end. Paul says, for what was being brought to an end came with glory. Much more... He says, much more will what is permanent have glory. Permanent being the sacrifice of Christ. He says, since we have such a hope, he says, we are not bold like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites would not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Paul says, but their minds were hardened. In all honesty, there is one single portion of William Branham's message, the unveiling of God, that is correct. There is a spiritual veil and a spiritual blindness that has came over the people. But to, not to everyone outside of the cult, as he tried to promote. Not to everyone who's outside of all of these other cults like Charles Taze Russell and John Alexander Dowie, who Branham promoted. Paul says that the people who are trying to uplift the old covenant are the ones who are spiritually blinded. And they're the ones that have that spiritual veil that remains unlifted. Paul writes, for to this day, when they read the old covenant, he says that same veil remains unlifted. He says, because only through Christ is it taken away. He says, yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, <clears throat> he says a veil lies over their hearts. But Paul writes, when one turns to the Lord, that veil is removed. Now, I've heard that exact testimony time after time after time from those who are fleeing this cult. To those who leave this cult of idolatry that they once called the message. 
As soon as they turned their hearts and their minds over to Christ, that veil was lifted away, and they immediately saw the change in their lives. And they started to experience a closer walk with Christ. Oh, and to those who believe Branham's nonsense about how a Christian has to forfeit his rights and become the lamb that's waiting to slaughter, ask yourselves if that theology, theology matches what is in the Bible, and if it came from God, or ask yourselves if it came from Satan. Ask yourself, who was the lamb that paid our debt? And then read what Paul writes next in this chapter. Paul says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, not bondage. He says, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. He says, <clears throat> Paul writes, for if this comes from the Lord, who is the same Spirit? To the ministers of this cult of William Branham's ministry of death, I ask you, why are you teaching that God shapeshifted into the form of William Branham? Why have you left the teachings of Paul to uplift a man? Do you really think that God does not see what you've done? Do you think that God does not see the many souls that you have put under imprisonment? Do you think that God does not see the spiritual veil that you have put over their faces? When you're asked on the day of judgment whether you pointed souls to Christ or you pointed souls to William Branham's message of death, how are you going to respond? <clears throat>